We're going to be talking today about uh, kind of tying in what we talked the last couple of weeks. If you weren't here, we talked about this whole thing of what God has given us a purpose beyond ourselves. That uh, in, a, in a sense, the mission that he gives us is uh, to seek and save that which is lost. I, I kind of wondered about this morning as we were thinking about all the events in the world that's happened this past week. Um, why all of a sudden, I know this is an obvious question, but why all of a sudden do we think about Haiti? I mean, Haiti's been there all along, right? Do you know that Haiti is the uh, poorest, by far, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere? It's one of the poorest countries in all the world. 80% of people in Haiti are, are in poverty before what happened this past week. Uh, 50% of the people in Haiti are in abject poverty, meaning they don't even have enough to survive hardly on a given day. So many of them are dying on a regular basis just because of the lack of necessities of life that we take for granted so often. Haiti has been, been an issue for a long time, but for some reason, all of a sudden, on our radar, we see Haiti because of the uh, catastrophic events that's happened there this past week. We talked this past few weeks about this whole thing of what God has told us to do in Matthew 22, that he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and as we think about that, one of the things we've tried to encourage, I've tried to encourage you, try to encourage myself in, is that God has given us a mission beyond ourselves, that we are not to be settlers, not to be people who kind of like get settled into a process that we have our, sit in our circles and our small groups. We love small groups, okay? We believe in small groups. But small groups are, are not an end of themselves, it's just a means to help us to focus our attention upon certain things so that we can begin to turn our chairs outward, stand up and walk out into our world and, and encourage and, uh, and love people because we can't love people too well. We can love the people in our group, I guess, sitting around the group, but we can't love the people who are hurting, the people that are out there that need to know about Jesus Christ. You know, Haiti is, is something that's been, uh, in a sense, on my radar a little bit for a while because I remember a few years ago when my daughter, Kara, who goes to church here, she and her husband and then our grandson go to church here, uh, when the, she was in college in, uh, in uh, Tennessee, during spring break one year, they went to the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic shares an island with Haiti, Hispaniola, and if they're on that island, half the island's Haiti, half the island's Dominican Republic. Dominican, they went to a place there on the border between Haiti and Dominican Republic where they were in a clinic, and act, or actually in a place where they, were, they took over with them, my daughter and all the other kids from her college took over with them, two suitcases. That was back when you have to pay extra for suitcases. And uh, one suitcase had clothes in it, the other was filled up with school supplies, like notebooks and pencils and paper and markers and stuff like that. And they were to give them to the kids there. And she told a story, and, and I never forget about this. She told a story when they went there, that they got to this place, uh, this little, this little uh, place that was a little school there on the border between Haiti and Dominican Republic, and they were set up. And what it is is they were to give out, uh, every kid that came, was to, they were to give them out just a, basically a box of crayons or markers and a, and a notebook. And actually the school had barbed wire around it because, uh, because of, of, you know, just some things that had happened there. And she said that when they found out, the kids in the community found out that, 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 that they were giving them out, this, just crayons, markers, and paper, uh, they came and they were trying to crawl over the barbed wire fence to get to the markers and the crayons. That's the kind of need that's been there for a long time. This has been years and years and years. And my daughter and all her friends came back from that trip. We met them in the airport in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh, they came off, they all had... Uh, braids, dreads, or whatever you call them, you know, 
bunch of white girls with dreads. And uh, <laughs> it was kind of unusual. And they came up. But the cool thing was they had one empty suitcase from all the stuff that they had taken. And their other suitcase was empty too. They went there and they were so moved that they gave away all their clothes. And, and I really believe in a sense that that was the kind of thing that, that you know, that, that need has been there all along. You know, it's all of a sudden on our radar we have Haiti. And what God says to us, I believe, in a real sense is that not just about Haiti, but there is needs all around us. There's, what about, you know, we, 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 see, we see the needs in Haiti right now because of the crisis. Well, what about the crisis that's going on next door to you? What about the crisis in the family that doesn't know Jesus Christ and is going through divorce and is going through all kind of chaos that lives right next door to you? Maybe in your neighborhood, maybe your friend, maybe, your, maybe somebody that you know in your neighborhood, maybe a family member. That's just as tragic. Tragic in a real sense is what's going on in Haiti right now. Because literally the thing is that God says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, And he says we've come to see, God calls us to come and to seek and to save that which is lost. Now today I want to talk about how do we get change our mindset? How does God begin to work in our lives to help us to get off of this thing where we kind of focus our attention upon ourselves? And we know why that happens, why we get so, we, we don't see stuff around us because we don't focus upon it. We get so busy in our life. We're just frantically going around doing all this stuff and we have to do two or three things. We're going to talk about it for the next three weeks. But the number one thing we're going to have to do is learn is, is to pray because prayer in and of itself does something to us that allows us to begin to focus on and see people as God sees them. This morning, if you have your Bible with you, take it and I want you to turn to two different passages, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, and maybe the bookmark them, and we're going to look at those. The first passage is over, actually two passages we're going to go back and forth between. One is in Esther chapter 4 in the Old Testament. If you have to look in your table of contents, it's all right. You know, Esther chapter 4. Uh, it's a little story there we're going to look at in a few moments. And the other, uh, the main focus this morning is going to be out of Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, um, which is over in the New Testament, one of Paul's writings. And we're going to look at a couple of things that it says there about this whole thing of being aware of the opportunities that are around us and how God wants us to seize those opportunities uh, as we go in a, into our world. Now, Colossians chapter 4, we're going to look there first. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, says, Make the most of every opportunity. It says, Make the most of every opportunity. Basically, it's telling us that uh, this is really a definition of spiritual maturity in a real sense. Spiritual maturity is making the most of every opportunity we have to seek and to save that which is lost when we tie everything together in Scripture. It doesn't say how many opportunities we all have. Some have more opportunities, some have less. But we all have opportunities around us uh, to, to deal with. And we simply need to make the most of every opportunity. The word translated opportunity here in Colossians 4, 5 is the Greek word keros, which means it refers to a serendipitous window of opportunity. This, this time that's, that's, that's important for us to be aware of. There are times in people's lives where we have the opportunity to speak into their life in such a way that we can impact their life. And most of the time, for some bizarre reason, that may be around the time of crisis, in someone's life. It may be a, t a time when things aren't going well. M matter of fact, uh, a little bit further, looking in history, the word opportunity also comes from the Latin word, which is the phrase ob portu, and that was before mo modern harbors in the world, ships had to wait till flood tide to make it into port. 
They had to wait till the water rose enough so the ships could go into port. And this word, this opportunity, this Latin phrase, ob portu, uh, referred to that moment in time when the tide would turn and the captain and the crew would wait for that one moment and then they knew that if they missed it, they'd have to wait for another tide to come in. So there was only specific times when they could have this opportunity, this pour up to, this time to go into and to take, seize the opportunity that was there. I believe that seeing and seizing opportunities is often an underappreciated part of, of what it means or dimension of spiritual maturity. Because we are surrounded by God-ordained opportunities all the time. Opportunities to love people, opportunities to laugh, to give, to learn, to serve. But many of us fail to see those opportunities because we're looking for something big. We think, you know, God can only use us in great big ways. And so one of the things we have to understand is that God wants us to begin to understand that we need to, uh, in a real sense, make the most of every opportunity, the small ones and the large ones. You know, some of the greatest leaders in the Bible started out small. A few years ago, as I was looking back, about three years ago, we did a series on Chase the Lion. I don't know if you remember that one or not. It was a passage in the Old Testament about a guy named Benaiah. And Benaiah was a guy, and we called, uh, there was a book written by uh, Mark Batterson, who was a pastor in National Community Church in Washington, D.C. And he talked about in that book and in, and in Scripture, that book, this thing is called uh, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And basically the story is in the Old Testament, this guy, Benaiah, who was this, we see him as a mighty warrior, but he actually chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day. And you think, oh, what a great warrior. But you know what Benaiah started out as, what his first job was? He was a bodyguard. He's, God used him in great ways. Joshua, who we consider, you know, uh, a great leader in the Old Testament. He started off as a personal assistant. That was his first job. Elisha, another great prophet, was an intern. Um, uh, Nehemiah, who was considered probably, I think, Nehemiah, truly, if you want to learn about leadership, Turn to the book of Nehemiah and read that book in the, Old, in the Old Testament. The greatest, I think probably the greatest lessons on leadership in all of the Bible is in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer, somebody who basically held the cup, drank the cup, made sure that nothing was in the cup that was wrong before the king. That was his job. That's where he started out, was a small opportunity, and God used that in great ways. See, opportunities typically present themselves for us, and the reason we miss them so tall, sometimes is because they present themselves at the most inopportune time. And opportunities often seem disguised as problems or even as a crisis. I love uh, in, in language, as you look at language, that, for instance, in other languages, uh, certain words describe things in different ways. For instance, in the Chinese language, it captures the two sides of this truth because in the Chinese language, the word crisis is made up of two characters. You know how Chinese language is characters. And, and the word crisis is made up of two characters. One means danger, and the other means opportunity. Now think of putting those together. That's the word crisis, a dangerous opportunity, is the way the Chinese look at it. Problems often are opportunities in disguise. And one of, one of the things that we want to talk about today in the next couple of weeks is how God uses prayer in a real sense to help us to understand those opportunities in disguise, those, those crisis times. Uh, and he places us strategically in the right place at the right time, which may, may seem like the wrong place at the wrong time, 
But if we begin to live in the right kind of mindset, and God changes our mind, we'll talk about this through prayer, then we begin to see things in a different way. We see people in a different way. One of the classic examples of that is, is, is this story in the Old Testament of Esther. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn with that real quick. Esther chapter 4. I believe it's a person because she saw God in a different, she saw God in a different way and it was reminded of that. She lived life in a sense where she seized this opportunity. She made the most of an opportunity that God gave her, even though it was not necessarily something that you and I would want to have. Uh, let me just give you a little background. In the 5th century B.C., there was a guy named King Xerxes. And King Xerxes uh, ordered the genocide of the Jews. He ordered the Jews to be killed. You know, the, Hitler wasn't the first one to do this. And, and he, when he ordered the Jews to be killed... Uh, through an amazing set of circumstances, God used a beauty pageant in a real sense to strategically position a Jewish young lady, uh, an orphan girl named Esther, uh, into position in the king's court as one of his wives. Uh, she became, uh, because of this beauty pageant, literally became the queen of, queen of Persia. But no one in Xerxes' court or Xerxes himself knew that Esther was Jewish, not even the king. And so on one uh, level, it seemed like Esther was at the wrong place at the wrong time because she is Jewish. Her husband has just ordered the genocide, the killing of all Jews, not knowing that one of his wives is Jewish. But Esther was, had a wise uncle named Mordecai that renewed her sense of destiny, reminded her that, that God had serendipitously, seren, I can't, how do you say that? Serendipitously. Okay, whatever. How do you say that? Okay, it's a really hard word. Uh, she, he had placed her at this place in time for a purpose. And he says this, he says this in Esther. He says, think not, uh, think not that, uh, do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. I'm going like, okay, Mordecai, I don't need to be reminded of that. If you're Esther, probably like, that wasn't the good news. Then he says this though, for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. He's reminded that God has a plan, a purpose for his, her life. And if you just see it in that way, if you seize this moment, seize this opportunity, then God is going to use you in a great way. And it says then this, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. And it, and it, and it insinuates fast and pray for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, uh, three days, day and night. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. One of the reasons I believe that she took this opportunity is because she had the right kind of mindset. And through fasting and prayer, through seeking God's heart, seeking his mind, she began to see the situation differently than just simply a situation that's that to be feared. Because if you understand this, if you just read this, you're going like, okay, what's the big deal? Well, according to the Persian law, no one could approach the king unless they were summoned. Even the wives could not approach the king unless they were summoned. The penalty was death. Pretty harsh place they lived in that day. And women, you think you have it hard. You know, do not think, no, 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 no. In our, the, <laughs> this was a different world they lived in in that time. And so the king had total, total control over life and death, even of his wives. 
The only one, uh, the only out was if the king raised his scepter, thus, uh, thus sparing your life. If you approached him, not being summoned. So if you read the, and if you read the first chapter, if you go back and read the first chapter of the book of Esther, you'll find that Xerxes had already gotten rid of one of his wives when he, um, when, who didn't come when he called her. I mean, all she didn't do, she didn't show up when he called her, so he kills her. This guy was a whack job. Literally, you know, his guy, but he had this power. And here was Esther as one of his wives, and he had just caught, said, I'm going to kill all the Jews. Here's the command. And so can you imagine Esther's position here? First of all, you're not supposed to go to the king unless you're summoned. Secondly, he just t- said that everybody who's Jewish, including you, not knowing that she was Jewish, is going to die. The consensus among historians is that Xerxes was impulsive and unpredictable. Duh. Uh, during his reign, Xerxes commissioned the building of a bridge. This tells you how unpredictable he was. During the re- his reign, Xerxes commissioned the building of a bridge, but during construction, it was destroyed by a storm. storm. <laughs> Xerxes ordered that the body of water receive 300 lashes. And then he had the bridge builders beheaded. Now, who was going to build the bridge? So, you know, Esther knew all about this history of this guy. And I would think that this situation qualifies as a crisis, don't you? The genocide of the Jews is a serious problem, but prayer has a way of turning the problem into opportunity. And as as Esther and her uncle and their friends prayed and fasted over this opportunity, God said to Esther clearly, even she made her mind up, she says, I'm going to do this, but I pray and fast. I want to pray that God will open the doors of this opportunity to make something positive come out of it. To borrow the phrase from the Latin, three days of praying and fasting will, or two, it will turn the tide. And to make a long story short, if you read this in, in Esther, basically the man who instigated the genocide, Xerxes, ended up being killed on the gallows who built And Esther and her people were spared. Now, how do we, what does that mean? What does it mean for us? I think we live life in one of two ways. We live life in either survival mode or prayer mode. Either survival mode or prayer mode. Because let's go back to that passage in Colossians 4 where it said, it says, you know, it says, seize, make the most of every opportunity. That was, that was verse 5. How do we do that? How do you make the most of every opportunity? The answer is found in verse 2, previous to that, as he prefaced in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, the, the preface to make the most of every opportunity is, is what it says in verse, in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then there's a whole bunch of other things that says about prayer in there that we're not going to cover all that today. But basically, how we get out of this survival mode that we're in where we're focused on just chaotic, crazy stuff. I mean, if I took a survey this morning, I think most of us would raise our hands saying, we live a life that's totally insane. Too many things on our calendar, too many things trying to do. And because of that, we get distracted and, and, and life is just not the way it needs to be or the way, the way we wish it would be. But it says if we want to make the most of every opportunity, how we do that is we devote ourselves to prayer. And as we do that, we become watchful and thankful. 
The word watchful is a throwback to the Old Testament watchman whose job it was to sit on the city wall, to scan the horizon, and to keep watch. People who live in a prayer mode are watchmen. They see further than others see. They, they, uh, they see things before others see them, and they see things other people simply don't see. So it's two ways to live your life, survival mode or prayer mode. Survival mode is simply reacting to the circumstances around you. If Esther had been in survival mode, what do you think she would have done? You think she would have gone to the king? She probably would have tried to conceal her identity and it, to save herself, but it was three days of prayer and fasting that gave her the moral courage to appeal to the king. Survival mode is reactive. Prayer mode is proactive. You see, prayer puts you in the proactive posture because the, the Aramaic word for prayer in, in the New Testament is write, written in Aramaic and Greek. The Aramaic word for prayer is the word slotha, which means to set a trap. Isn't that interesting? The Aramaic word for prayer is slotha, which means to set a trap. In other words, prayer helps us to catch the opportunities that are before us, to be aware of the things that are before us. People who live in prayer mode see opportunities that people who don't, don't. Psalm 5.3 reveals the way David started every day. You would, in the Old Testament, David was a man of prayer, right? If you don't know, yes, David was a man of prayer. In Psalms, we see he was a man of constantly praying to God. It says this in, in Psalm 5.3, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectations. You see, prayer raises our expectations, uh, but it also creates cognitive categories in our brain. I think one of the problems that we have, one of our greatest spiritual shortcomings in our lives, when we live this in this, in this uh, survival mode, is low expectations. Because we're so distracted by so many things around us, we become so hurried in life. Low expectations are the byproduct of prayerlessness, of having no focus in our lives. But prayer, and and I found this in my own life, and I I think you found it in your life too. In your times of prayer, it's helped to focus your attention. It helps you to see things in a different way. Prayer has a way of God-sizing our expectations. You see, David, every day as he woke up, he couldn't wait to see what God was going to do next because he, he was living in a prayer mode. The more you pray... It raises the expectations of what God can do through you and through the world. Truthfully, folks, the number one thing we can do right now for Haiti and for the situation is to get in prayer mode. And begin to ask God, how can we... See, sometimes we're reactive. We just, oh, the, we get all excited about going over and you know, doing something. Truthfully, right now, we're not first responders. Most of us aren't first responders here. We'd get in the way if we got to Haiti today. We cause more damage than we would good. They don't need any more chaos in Haiti right now. But God has a plan, and he's going to use us and other people in the world and the right people at the right time to do what needs to be done. But prayer will help us to focus our attention and to, and to see how God can work in and through not only that situation, but in the situation around us. Sometimes we become overwhelmed, do we not, about the problems just around us in our neighborhood. I mean, have you ever really began to be aware of what's going on in some of your neighbors' lives, and all of a sudden you become aware, and you're going, how can I possibly help them? I have. 
And in doing so, what happens is if you've become overwhelmed, what happens is I began to pray. And when I pray, God begins to focus my attention. And he begins to say, okay, Bill, you can do this. And you can do this. And you can partner with this person in helping this. And he begins to break down the categories and help me to see things the way God sees them. That's what prayer does. That's the beginning point today I want to talk about is just this whole thing of God wants us to live in this prayer mode. We're going to be talking about how to pray and how to pray for others in the next couple of weeks. But today, more than anything else, I want to help you to see that prayer reprioritizes our lives. It helps us to focus our attention not to live in this survival mode. So prayer raises our expectations, but it also creates cognitive categories in our brain. I am amazed. You know, it says in the Bible that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and those of you who are in the medical field, you know, I, I cannot believe if you in the medical field and, and you don't believe in God. Because when you begin to see how things are put together, it wasn't just by accident that things are put together the way they are in our bodies and in our brains even. Because God designed in our brains something called the RAS. You ever know what, you know what the RAS is? You're like, every one of you got it. You didn't know you had an RAS? R-A-S. At the base of, our, uh, of the stem, brain stem, there's a cluster of nerve cells. And it's called the reticular activating system, the RAS. Now, you learn, if you learn nothing else today, here's something about yourself that you learn. The reticular activating system. Reticular activating system is there for a purpose because our brains are bombarded by stimulus from all over the place, all the time. Sights and sounds and smells. And if we had to process everything that we were bombarded with, and we're bombarded with even more now than ever before in our information age that we live in, uh, you know, if we were bombarded and had to process all the things that went through this, uh, our brains, we would go crazy, literally. But God made this thing called the RAS. Now, I don't know if he called it the RAS or not, but somebody decided one time, a long time ago, that it was called the reticular activating system. And then what the reticular activating system is, is, is this. What it does, it determines what gets noticed and what goes unnoticed. It's kind of like a mental sorting system. It's like a little guy sitting there going, okay, you're going to notice this. No, you're not going to notice this. No, you're going to notice this. No, you're not going to notice this. It, it just sorts through things. One of the problems my dad a few years ago and my father-in-law both a few years ago got hearing aids. And I hope I never have to get one. Because it drives them, act, you know, if any of you got hearing aids, you know what I'm talking about. It drives them crazy because there's something in our ear that sorts through it sorts through all the sounds we have and lets us hear certain things. But hearing aids, for some reason, amplifies everything. That's what I've been told. And because of that, they have these conglomerations of sounds. And so they want to, my dad's constantly want to turn off his hearing aid. Because he says, it's just too much. So RAS, what it does, it kind of sorts through all the stuff that comes into our life, all the, the different things that's going on. It kind of works like this. You know, when you purchase a cell phone, all of a sudden you have a certain ringtone, do you all of a sudden notice everybody else has the same ringtone you do? I mean, you, I mean the first thing you do is that you hear a ring, oh, psh, grab your phone, whip it out. Oh, it's not mine. Or you purchase a new car, and you know, it's something you've never had before, and all of a sudden everybody drives the same car you do. Everyone noticed that? Or ladies, you buy an outfit at a store. Guys don't care. But ladies, you buy an outfit at the store. And you go somewhere and somebody else is wearing the same outfit you got. That's the most horrible thing that could ever happen. 
Because all of a sudden you, you, you have this file folder in your brain, this, this, this category in your brain that, that says, okay, notice this. That's how it works. This RES works in our brain. And that's the function of the RES. You didn't have a category for clothing or ringtone or car before you bought it. But once you made that, pers- uh, that purchase, you have this new cognitive category in your brain. It's the same way. Now you have a Haiti car- category in your brain. It's in- you got a file folder there. And you're going, okay, this is a crisis place. And, and I need to know that Well, Haiti was a problem long before this crisis. It'll be a problem long after this crisis. You know, one of the things we need to have in our brain, too, is we need to have this category in our brain of lost people category. This, this category of, you know, people around us that need to know Jesus Christ. Because truthfully, folks, as, as terrible as it is in Haiti with all of the physical suffering, the greatest suffering is the eternal suffering that people go through without Jesus Christ. And it's happening. You don't have to go to Haiti to find people that have that issue. They're in your neighborhood. They're on your street. They may be in your family, in your schools, at, at your work, place of work. And God wants us to begin to develop categories in our brain so we will think of this. And prayer begins to do that. What prayer does, it de- defines and helps us in a real sense to define categories. It helps us to focus and set categories in our, ma- in our brain. If you want to see and seize God-ordained opportunities, you've got to live in a prayer mode. You've got to lay your request before the Lord. You see... Spiritual maturity is about seeing and seizing opportunities that God has laid before us. And that is how our spiritual journey begins. It begins by seizing the opportunity that God is offering us. Now, how do you do that? How do we do that? Last, you know, we've talked for the last couple of weeks about this whole thing of um, that God has given us a, a mission to seek and save that which is lost. And it begins right where you are. And it spreads into the world. We used the other night in a leadership team a term that we're probably using a lot in the future called glocal. Glocal. Global and local put together glocal. It's a phrase that was, I found it was phrased by the Japanese in the 80s. It was, it was uh, used by a church in the late 80s as well uh, uh, down in Texas. And it it's basically mean, means that we combine, the, that we need to have a global mindset but begin to work locally, which expands globally. And how we begin to do that, we want to challenge over the next, this next several months, is we want to, and as, and as we understand that we need to take our chairs that we're sitting in a circle facing them, we need to face them out and stand up and go out in our community and serve God. We need to begin the process of, of finding categories of focusing our attention upon the needs that are out right around us. And one of the great needs is for us to invest in people's lives that don't know Jesus Christ and to invite them to Jesus Christ. We're going to tell you how to do that. It's through events and also through personal contact with them. Over the next several months, we're going to talk about that. But in your bulletin this morning, as we close, I want to give you, give you something very tangible to do. I want to give you a, 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 a way of, of focusing your prayers so you can begin the process of sorting out and making new categories, and God began to work in your life to help you to focus on something that maybe that you've not focused on as much. And you have a little thing in there called My Top Ten in 2010. You know, the, the uh, FBI has this most wanted list, you know. We're going to have our most wanted list this year at Great Oaks. And one of the things that God will begin to do to seize those opportunities that are before us, to make the most of opportunities, 
is we need to be in prayer mode in regard to people around us that need to know Jesus Christ. On the back of that sheet, there's a little bunch, there's some circles and some things, and it kind of describes the, the connections that we have locally with people. The things that, that are, you know, the, the different groups of people that we know, friends, neighbors, co-workers, you know, so forth and so on. What I want you to do over the next two to three weeks is I want you to fill in that side that says that my top ten most wanted with people that you know, that you come in contact with, or have some influence with. It may not be directly locally, but could be, you know, most of them will be local. People in those categories, those categories that are on the backside, fill in people that you want to pray about, begin the process of praying about that need to know Jesus Christ. It may be some family members. It may be some co-workers. It may be some friends. It may be some neighbors. It may be some people that you run across in you know, the grocery store or the pharmacy or the gas station or wherever it happens to be. But I want you to begin to think about and focus your attention upon this whole process of allowing God to use this as a prayer list. I want you to write the names down, and I begin, ask you to do this. I challenge you to do this. Let God, you know, form some new categories in your brain. Use your RAS to form some categories and begin to ask the opportunity. Say, God, give me opportunities of influencing these people for Christ. And I want to tell you something that's going to happen. Let me, let, let me just, let's think about this. If you have ten names there, and this year every one of you just had one of those people on that top ten list, influence for Christ, take their next step towards God, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? And I will tell you there will be nothing in your life this year that will make more difference in your life and to see that that you had a part in in God's plan for someone else's life that God allowed to use you and you're going like I don't know hang with us let me tell you God will take what you have and use it in miraculous ways you don't have to be totally trained I mean you know new Christians old Christians whatever you just got to be focused And this is a simple way to begin to focus. We're going to refer back to this on a regular basis, this top ten this year. And and I want to hear, you know, stories. I'm looking forward to the stories. I believe God's going to have stories of how God, as you've prayed about these people, how things that have happened that are are just wonderful stories, maybe simple ways that God has connected with them, and maybe during a crisis time in these people's lives or during a difficult time. And he connected you and others with that. And I want you to begin to pray about these people on our top ten list. If every one of us would do that, let me tell you something, folks. This church would be revolutionized. This community. We're not about building this church up big. We're about transforming this community. That's what God wants us to do. And as we transform our community locally, it transforms the world globally. We begin to see people in a different way. So let me ask you, would you commit to doing that? I'm just asking you to write down 10 people's names. Pray for them every day. You can do that in five minutes. Hopefully it'll take you a little longer. Because the more you pray for them, the more you'll see them in a different way. And you'll begin to pray more specifically about their needs. And God will begin to open things in your life that you've never discovered before. Prayer mode or survival mode? It's your choice. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information... 
go to greatoakcc.org.